Well, good morning, New Life. If you've been with us over the course of uh, Nathan's sabbatical, you'll know that there's kind of a running joke where I come up here and thank the worship team so that I don't have to come up here and do it. And because uh, I'm not real big into music and I don't have a great singing voice and all that other stuff. So this morning I was kind of teasing Julie. I was like, hey, you don't want me to come up there and sing? And without missing a beat, she says, we don't have enough mics up here for you to come. So I don't know if it's a joke. <laughs> I think it might actually be true that they don't want me coming up here. Uh, but I will say this, you know, maybe you guys are kind of like me sometimes and, and you come to church and maybe you're just not feeling it that day. Maybe you're having a bad day or maybe you got a lot of things on your mind or whatever. And, uh, you know, for me, even though I'm not big on music, I can't play an instrument and I can't sing, I got to tell you, like every time I come here, something at some point during the worship sort of hits me. And this morning... I'm kind of sitting back there, and, you know, I, I have to give the message, so I'm kind of running that through my mind. And, and then uh, there was one point, and I think it was at the start of the third song, that Kyra started playing that solo on, I don't even know if it's a violin or viola or whatever. I know it's one of those two. I know it's not a cello, but whatever it is that she was playing, is a, as soon as those notes came, it was like, oh, yeah, and then the rest of the song. So, you know, before we go any further, what I want to do is I want to give some praise to our worship team for Julie, Dawn, Becca, Kyra, who were up here this morning. And hope, I hope it hit you guys like it hit me because, man, when she started doing, doing that, I was like, man, that's awesome. So, hey, thank you to our worship team this morning and every, every Sunday when we gather. So, all right. I don't know if you guys have been following the news, but our governor resigned. And whether you are glad about that or not glad about that, regardless, the governor resigned. And as I was thinking about that, you know, over the last few years, he wasn't our only governor that resigned. We had another governor that resigned. And, you know, over the last few years, we had an attorney general that resigned. And, you know, the speaker of our assembly, he resigned and got arrested and is in prison. And two of our Senate majority leaders have resigned. And one of our congressmen has resigned. And I got thinking to myself, is there an absence of leadership here in New York? Not to be too harsh on our secular or political leaders, but over the last, I don't know, few months, maybe 18 months, we've also seen some of our, some of our Christian leaders sort of fail. And that, that kind of hurts the church community, right? I mean, some of those, some of those leaders that we've had, had had widespread audiences and were very effective at doing a number of different things, and yet the failure. I don't know if it's just our leaders, right? Our communities are sometimes, it seems to me, like they're kind of a mess. You know, whether you're a red state or blue state, I mean... We're kind of, right now, we're at a point where we're at each other's throats over, I don't know, voting rights, masks, whatever. If you're in a red state or a blue state, you know, you don't, you're moving from one state to another because of taxes or whatever. Man, this world is a mess. Not only our leaders, but our communities. The good thing is, though, as individuals... If we look at our Twitter and our Facebook and our YouTube feeds, we're not a mess. 
So things are a mess. You know, as I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, uh, as I was sort of putting this together, I'm reminded that in Judges there's that phrase, I don't know if I'll get it exactly right, Remember, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did as they thought right. And look what happened. Messes. It's kind of always been that way. I mean, we have our Bible, right? It's full of truth. We can go through and we can, historically, it's accurate. It tells God's love story from beginning to end. And if you look at it, we, it's, we call it the Holy Bible, the very words of God. If you're lucky enough to have the red-letter Bible, you can even find them quicker if you're looking for God's words, right? But you know, it's also kind of a mess, if you think about it. Even our biblical leaders, some of the most prominent men in the Bible, have been kind of a mess. God's looking for somebody to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He's looking around, and the best he can find is a killer and a fugitive. And he says, that guy. And that guy says, I don't want to do this. I'm not a very good public speaker. And God says, you're going. If we were looking for a leader to lead us out of slavery, I don't think we'd be looking for a killer and a fugitive. And Moses himself, right? He, he sees the plays. He, he sees the, the Red Sea part, and they get away, and then the army pursuing them, they die. He sees these miracles. He gets to see God, and he comes down. He's glowing. And yet, in the end, he doesn't get to go into the promised land because he doesn't obey God specifically. No, in, no offense intended to Moses, but you're kind of a mess, bud. You got to see God, and you still, you're glowing. And you still can't just get it right. So, God knows there's going to be a Messiah someday, and he, he needs somebody to be in that line, right? Jesus is going to come from somebody's line. And so we look around, and we find David, shepherd boy, not the person we would probably go looking around if we needed a royal line to start from or to include if we're going to get to Messiah? I don't know. Would we pick David? God does. He makes the right choice, by the way, but God does. But what happens to David? All the blessings that he gets in his life. He's a man after God's own heart, right? And what does he do? Well, he's an adulterer and a murderer. And yet he still is the one God chooses to be part of Jesus' lineage. But an objective look might say, David's kind of a mess. But we also know, if we look at our Bibles, that Moses and David are clearly counted as righteous, and they are blessed because of their faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you remember the beginning, it, it goes through a lot of this one was blessed by faith and faith this one did that and faith this, faith that. And we get to Hebrews 11.35. And it starts by saying, you know, faith this, that it, 
faith shuts the mouths of lions and weakness turns into strength and there's, there's uh, military victory, armies are destroyed. And we get to 1135, women receive back their dead, raised to life again. Man, that's great. But that's not all. There were also others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. These are the faithful. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what they had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Kind of a mess, the way I read it. Just a quick sidebar here for a second. You know, if you and I were going to start a religion, and this is one of the criticisms of our faith, is that we've put, taken all these stories and we've cleaned them up and we've put them in a in a way that, uh, that supports what we want to believe, like we've, we've made Jesus into our God, like this is a criticism of the faith. And it doesn't seem to me like the Bible's been cleaned up at all. There is a lot of messiness from beginning to end. Even when we get into the New Testament, Jesus comes, and what is that community like? Are they squared away or are they a mess? Right? How are they treating tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners? and Man, and then they put to death the Messiah. I mean, there's that. It's a mess. It's a mess from the beginning. It's a mess when Jesus comes, and he comes to set it right, and he needs to choose some people to help him. As Greg mentioned, he's got 12 disciples. They get to live with him. They get to see every single day how Jesus treats people, what they're supposed to do. They see miracles, people... 5,000 people fed with nothing. People brought back to life, healed. And he chooses Peter, a fisherman. Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet there's one point where Peter's trying to tell Jesus his business, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Matt, 1623, Mark 833 is where that is. Peter, the guy who's going to be the rock of the church, one of the inner circle, one of the three disciples that gets to spend extra time with Jesus, he says, get behind me, Satan. Is Peter even trustworthy? Matthew 26, 33. What do we have going on there with Peter? Jesus is just telling, getting done telling the disciples, look, you guys are all going to fall away. I'm going to go get, uh, I'm going to be killed, and you guys are all going to fall away. And what does Peter say? Yeah, you're wrong. 26.33, Peter replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter still insists. After everything he's seen with Jesus, he's still a mess. He still believes in himself. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. We know what happened, right? Peter's a mess. I mean, he does cut off the servant's ear and everything, so he's kind of brave, and then he's not brave. He may not even be 
trustworthy if we read what we just read and what happens. Peter's a mess. We need a messenger for the Gentiles. Who are we going to choose for that? Right? The guy that was just killing them all and persecuting them. Gets himself a commission to go to Damascus and kill some more. Why would we ever choose Peter and Paul? They're a mess. Back in Judges, just so we can remind ourselves before we go on. There's a pattern in the first 16 chapters. There's no king. People decide what they want to do. They decide to act in their own best interest, and it becomes a mess. But God raises up a judge and a king. He kind of cleans everything up. Things get set back together. When that king dies, everything falls apart again. Deborah, Gideon, Samson, they all come. They do their time in the leadership position. They get everything cleaned up. And then this is why we can't have nice things. It's always been this way. So what about us, though? What about you and me? How much of a mess are we? It's not a competition. Don't worry. Let's imagine something here for the next few minutes. Let's imagine that we have a house or an apartment or a garage, whatever you want to put into your mind, and in that space is your mess. What's going to be in that space? Could be shame or regret. Could be that thing you did maybe 10 minutes ago or maybe a week ago or maybe decades ago. It could be that thing there and it just it's, it stays there and it clutters up your space. Maybe you've turned your back on God. Maybe you've cursed God. Maybe there's been times in your life where you just don't understand what's going on and you've shaken your fist. It's all there. And it's in your space. And it's got you cluttered up. Your temptation, your guilt, and you know the big one, your sin. It's all there. It's there so much that you can't even get around your space. It's all blocked up. You can't remove it. A lot of it's too heavy for you. My mess is, like I said, it's not a competition. My mess is as big as yours. It's got different things in it. And in our imagination, let's say we see a vehicle coming towards us. Now, it's not the production crew for hoarders, so you're not going to be on TV. It starts to come a little closer. And you see the person driving it is Jesus. Now you got a problem. Because you don't want Jesus to know what your mess is like. You don't want your neighbors to know what your mess is like. You even want to deny that you have a mess. But Jesus pulls up. He gets out of his car or truck. Probably a truck because you got a big mess. Probably a truck. And he comes to your door. You can see out the window he's coming. He comes to your door and he stops. See, if you wanted to, he could just kick your door in. But he doesn't. Jesus is going to wait for you to open the door. 
when you decide you've had enough of your mess and you open the door, Jesus comes in. The first thing he does is he looks at your mess. Whatever you say to him, whatever you want him to do, he goes to the back of your mess. And you're watching this happen. He disappears. You can't even see him. And then he pops up from the back and he's holding something. And what he's got is your faith. And it's not a piece of junk. He dusts it off and he puts it on your wall. He says, this is where we're going to start. And you look over there and you realize that actually makes this room look beautiful. There's still a lot of mess. But now that I've got my faith up here and I've got Jesus on the job, now we've got a shot. And you're watching this happen and Jesus says, that's your faith. He says, I know you got some other things in here. I mean, there's a reason there's a show, American Pickers, right? There's, there's not complete mess. There's always a gem within that mess. He says, I know there's some other stuff in here, but we're going to start with faith. And Jesus rolls his sleeves up, and he gets to work. And that shame that you had, that you carry around with you, Jesus says, I'm going to get rid of this for you. He picks it up. He walks out of the house. You don't know where it went. It just is gone. You're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But you got a lot of mess. So Jesus comes back. He takes that thing that you did so long ago. And he takes it out of your house or your space. He says, you don't need this. And he walks out with it. And he's going to keep going. You have regret, maybe, and guilt. That's heavy. That's really heavy. You've tried to move it yourself, and you see Jesus walk over to it, and he's going to pick it up. And you're like, Jesus, lift with your legs, Jesus. This is heavy. And Jesus picks it up like it's a feather, walks it out of your house, and gets rid of it. You're like, this is amazing. You're watching this whole thing. You're trying to give advice, right? Jesus, leave that temptation there. I, like, I kind of like that. Jesus is like, nah, we don't need this here. It's cluttering up your house. You know what? It's in the way of your love. It removes that temptation out of the way so that you can get back to the good things. Gets rid of that temptation. And then Jesus has to deal with sin. You don't want to deal with it. You've tried dealing with it on your own, and it doesn't go anywhere. It sits in the middle of your room, and it blocks everything. Actually, you're not even sure if you can get it out of the house. The door is not big enough. And Jesus has been at this for about three hours. And you're like, Jesus, I don't know if that's going to move. And Jesus takes a look at it and says, I have something for that. He goes runs out to his truck, comes back in, and it looks like he's got a hand cart. He's like, yeah, that's heavy. So he gets the hand cart, he pulls it out, and as he's pulling it away, you're like, you're looking at the hand cart, and you think, boy, that looks an awful lot like a cross. And Jesus wiggles that thing out of your door. You don't know how he does it. It's too big. But he gets it out of your door, and he gets it away from your mess. And your house is clean. You don't want to give it up. 
you're comfortable with your mess. You know it's probably not good for you. But Jesus has come and he's taken it from you. And for three hours, he works on your mess. You're bloody and sweaty and bruised the whole time. He gets rid of the mess, and he finds the gems. Faith, hope, and love. And he puts it all in order. Now our house is clean. But there's one more thing. In that whole story... You noticed something, didn't you? You didn't lift a finger to help. It's Jesus is the one that's done all the work. You just watched. You tried to give advice. Sometimes you might have even gotten in his way. None of that mattered because Jesus got to work. He spent three hours on your house cleaning it up. He spent three hours on that cross taking away your sin. All of our sin. It's not on you. It's gone. You want to give him a thank you note because you're like, this is so cool. My mess is cleaned up. So you go out of your house and you're on your way to get that gift card from Target or whatever and you look back and what's Jesus doing? He's in your house with a mop and a bucket. Still working. Amen, church? Amen. I'm going to call the worship team up here. I think we have another song, right? Do we have another song? Thank goodness. Not, no, there's not enough mics up here for me to sing. I was, I was, even though... Jesus has paid the price for our sin and cleaned up your mess. He's still working. And you didn't have to do anything for it. That's how great our God is. Thank you, Jesus, for cleaning up and continuing to clean up my mess. He loved us when we were yet sinners from the moment of God's creation to the end, he loved us. He's going to come and clean up your mess. All you got to do is open the door. Disperse and be the church.